Um, first, let me just say thank you to all who have reached out to our family over the last couple of weeks uh, with the death of our um, mom and mother-in-law. I appreciate your kindness and your thoughtfulness and just the comments, the cards, uh, your kindness. Um, if we don't get a chance to personally catch everyone, I'm trying to do that right now and just tell you how appreciative we are for your love uh, and your, your grace to us. It's been a wonderful thing for our family to have that and be surrounded by that, and we appreciate that very much. Wanted to show you a quick video. It's the latest uh, update, getting super close. Kim talked about it. The paper on the floor is just because the floor is done and they're protecting it right now, but you're looking at the foyer. It's a massive foyer in there. That's the fireplace right there. Um, so believe me, the paper is not the goal um, that you're <laughs> walking into. But after they, it's polished concrete right there, and so after they do that, they don't want you to... Uh, to be walking on it. And then this is that edifice in the front that they're almost done with right now. If you haven't driven by and seen it, it looks really cool. Looking at it again, when you see pictures in video, it really doesn't do it justice, to be honest with you. But if you haven't got a chance to see it, Kim mentioned you can take the tour inside or if you just want to drive by it ever closer uh, to that moment. I won't bore you with uh, how our conversations are going uh, when I get the update on the building. Every other week, there is some reason why there could be a possible delay uh, with it, right? And so I've just told Todd, you know, that's what your job is, is to bear the burden of that. Only tell me the good news. That's all I want to <laughs> I wanna hear right now. So ever closer, excited about it. And um, we'll start talking uh, in the next couple of weeks, the move over and what the first official uh, weekend will be and service times and all of that. We're working on that now. Uh, Amy said this to me this morning, and I thought it was, it was cute. The 12 seasons uh, of Colorado. <laughs> Did you enjoy summer? It was quick, wasn't it? It was. <laughs> Here's the 12 seasons of Colorado. Winter, full spring, second winter, spring of deception, third winter, road construction, actual spring, summer, fire season, False fall, second summer, and then actual fall. Those are the 12 seasons in Colorado right there. And sometimes it feels exactly that way. Anybody else have tree problems at your, your house? Driving through Highlands Ranch this morning, it looked like a bum went off with what it did to, uh, to the trees. And I know, uh, you know, to, to figure a rhyme or reason for it, the whys, all of that. So I, here's bottom line, what I told myself to make me feel better about the loss of the trees was simply this. I love, love my trees. I mean, I'm, we, we bought the house brand new in uh, 2000 and have grown those trees, but honestly, with the way that the summers have been and the fires, uh, I love those trees, but it's not worth a life, is it? You know, getting the moisture right now is ultra important and the state needs it so, so very, very bad. I, I tell myself that to feel a little better about. And if anybody has a wood chipper and would like to make $50,000 over the next two weeks, talk to me and we'll. We'll get together. Um, we're in a series in 2 Timothy right now, and we're just teaching our way through the book of 2 Timothy. Uh, today we're going to look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. There's a lot here, uh, but there were four things in particular that I felt like were worthy of us spending a little bit of time talking about. So this is 2 Timothy 2, 1 and 2, and then 24 and 26. And obvious, using four verses, I'm leaving out a larger portion uh, of this particular chapter. And I, so you might go, Pastor, I mean, how, how do you justify in your mind doing the beginning and the end of it? It's just simply that when we're looking at how we're teaching and what we're teaching, we're doing schedules. We're trying to get to certain things at certain times. We have to plan the grand opening and what we're going to be teaching in that. So we're fitting things in, asking the Holy Spirit how this works. And when I was studying over the last couple of weeks, I felt like these were the things that just really, they were illuminated to me, I think, uh, through the Holy Spirit as I was going to teach. And so if you're just like, my favorite verses start at verse 3 and go to verse 23, then I would say uh, study those things well, take good notes, and eventually we'll come back around and we'll, we'll talk about those things right there. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, 1 and 2, 24 and 26. Paul writing to Timothy. And if just quick background, Timothy is a young pastor. He struggles with shyness he struggles with, um, at times, being, I'm, I'm going to use the word afraid. He's afraid 
to stand up for the gospel. Paul has to encourage him not to be afraid, not to be ashamed of me or the gospel, is what he tells Timothy. Why would you say that unless someone is struggling with being embarrassed or with being afraid of standing up and what's going to happen to them? We all have to come to the place in our life where we realize, is this gospel worthy enough for me to even trust what's going to happen in my life if I stand up for it, correct? And we're all at that place in our lives. And some are on the early part of that spectrum trying to figure out, okay, can, is it worthy of me putting my life on the line for? And other of us have realized that nothing is more important than Jesus in this life because it's also for the life to come too. And this is a young pastor who's right in that place of struggling with, uh, you know, Paul tells him, don't be ashamed of me. Don't be ashamed of this gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. Uh, he also tells Timothy, hey, from this point forward, I want you to drink a little bit of wine for your stomach's sake. A lot of people, the water was bad, they say. I think it's because this is a person who deals with just, you could imagine. This is a lot for a young man to have to pastor a first-generation church in a culture that is hostile to Christianity. So much so that you can be killed, you can be stoned, literally, for what you believe. I, I think in many ways the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun and we find ourselves living in days where the culture is not necessarily cheering for believers, are they? And we find ourselves even more and more trying to figure out, and I don't think in America we deal with that in a, um, in a life and death situation, but I think we do deal with it where you have to decide Am I ashamed of this gospel? Am I willing to, to bear reproach for this gospel? Am I willing to stand up for this gospel? And I think that part of being a maturing believer is that you come to that place in your life where you're like, nothing is more important than to live out my faith for Jesus in my family and in the world at large. Amen to that right there? Yeah, so that's, that's where this young man is at. Uh, his grandmother and his mother, we talked about this on Mother's Day, are believers. Paul, on three different missionary journeys, has come to their town. The very first time he comes, there's an incredible miracle of a person who has been lame since birth. Paul, through the Holy Spirit, heals that person. And the, the, what, we, what we're able to extrapolate from that is that his grandmother and his mother, uh, they witness the miracle. And God uses the miraculous. He uses signs and wonders in order to convince people, in order to, to show forth this is real and this is true. And so they witness this miracle, they become believers, and then Timothy is raised in the atmosphere. Even though it's a pagan culture, he's raised as a believer in a pagan culture. And so much so that he, he gets a call in the middle of this culture. And so we find this young man at this point in his life where he's dealing with all of these different things. And so Paul's giving him instruction about how to be strong. And not just strong in the flesh, but strong in grace. And that's the first thing I want you to see. So Paul's writing, Timothy, you then, my son, be strong in what? So one more time, be strong in what? In the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I think we teach strength to people, but a lot of times we're teaching people to be strong in willpower. Make up your mind. Take your stand. Can I just say this to you real quickly? I, I, you know, I believe that willpower plays a part in our life, but I think when it comes to the gospel, willpower is not the issue. It's the grace in Christ Jesus that makes us able to do remarkable things, that makes us be able to put up with things in culture, that allows us to be pressed but not crushed, pushed but not knocked over. Persecuted, but we don't feel abandoned, right? It's exactly what this is. So you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. So we've got a circle there of the way that uh, discipleship works and the gospel goes forward. And the Lord's servant. I'm going to slow down on this because these words, you can read these words and not really hear them. And I want you to hear this. I need to hear this. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. Does it not seem like we live in the day of quarrelsome people? Not just believers too. We enter the fray thinking whoever can yell the loudest, fight the best, present the greatest argument is going to win the battle. And here Paul is telling Timothy, that's not the way it's going to get done. Being quarrelsome is not the way to advance the gospel. Thank you for that powerful amen right there. So I do wonder if I were to say, let's sign up today for those who want to pick up the sword and fight the... I wonder how many people would be... We live in a day where people are strong in the flesh, but not necessarily strong in grace. 
And to be strong in the flesh will profit you nothing because the flesh ultimately will fail and it will fail every time. So the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to a few people. Some of you are like, yeah. You didn't read it. So let's read it again and see if you catch this. <laughs> so the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to Does anybody else find that? Like, how do you do that without being strong in grace? So I don't think you could have self-determination that you're going to be... I can be kind to the people who are decent. And I get to decide who that is. But to the people who are difficult, right? (laughs) So the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone. Able to teach, not resentful. Uh. Uh, not, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed. In the hope that God will grant them repentance. Leading them to a knowledge of the truth. Please don't. No, go back to that real quick. So how do I want to say this? You know, I'm acting like as I read this that possibly it convicts you like it did me, but I need to be honest with you. This, this was like a Holy Spirit dagger to my heart because the truth of the matter is I'm not this person a lot of times. I have an overdeveloped sense of right and wrong and justice. Anybody else like that? And I see things in the world that are wrong or that weren't the way it's supposed to. Isaiah said, woe to you when good is evil, evil is good, right is wrong, wrong is right. And I think we live, in my opinion, we live in a day where good is given for evil and evil is given for good and right is called wrong and wrong is called right and somehow it flipped 180 while I was pastoring. Anybody else? And I find myself at, at, at such odds with that, that being gentle and, and, and allowing myself to be strong in grace rather than strong in my own ability. To, that's wrong and that's not right and it can't be that way. And here we, we have not only a mystery, but we have also a plan that's being laid out. One more time. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance leading them to a knowledge of the truth. Look at this next part right here. And that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Whenever we're dealing with someone in an opposition uh, place from us, do you ever tend to think this person has been misled by the enemy? And so what I'm actually trying to do is not to get them to see it my way, but I'm trying to get them so that they are free from the trap and the deception that the enemy has put on their life. And I wonder if the church approached the world with that in mind, that these are not our enemies. That people who disagree with us are not, they're not our enemies, but they have been taken captive by the enemy, misled, so that what we see, they don't see, and they feel as passionate about it as we do. And so we think, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to collide. The immovable object hits the unstoppable force. And the one that's moving fast enough or yelling loud enough or the stronger wins the battle. And the Bible's telling us here, you can't win it that way. All you do is polarize them and yourself at the same time. So you find yourself at opposition. And so then we just yell louder. And we make more and more people enemies or opponents. Maybe that's a kinder word for it, Doug. Opponents. Not enemies, but opponents. And here the Bible is telling us the way to do it, to be gentle and kind in the hopes that God can open their eyes and free them from the... Tr- I wonder if we would treat it different if we saw them as being taken captive by the enemy as opposed to being in opposition to what we believe or what we think. Do you get what I'm saying? And I think that is so far today from how the church sees the world. We see it through political lenses, don't we? Yes. Everything's a political battle. Everything has to be spoken of and taken through that lens right there. And here we have politics isn't really where the issue is at. It's a spiritual issue. I wonder if we got serious about that and really saw it that way and began to pray for people who are in opposition to us that the Lord would cause them to come to their senses, open their eyes, and free them from the trap of the enemy. 
If you want to extrapolate that a long way, what happens if they don't get freed from the trap of the enemy? And is it not our job to contemplate that and figure how do we reach people in that situation right there? Because we're listening to the strong arm of the flesh today. Let's yell louder. Let's fight stronger. Let's organize. Somehow we believe Jesus didn't say take up the cross. We believe he said take up the sword. And like if you're just, you know, I don't feel that way. I do. And it pierced my heart this week. So I don't find myself generally praying for people that I think are my opponent. I find myself trying to strategize. How am I going to out-argue or present or win in this situation? How do I keep this from going forward? Anybody? I mean, it's like the day we live in. And so I, I would just say this. Listen to this. Real, it may not just be our opponents who have the wool pulled over their eyes and can't see truth. It might be the church itself who have been taken captive and need to come to their senses to realize the real enemy is the one you probably aren't seeing. It's not flesh and blood. And it's not the way somebody voted or the way they feel about an argument. That the real enemy is the one that you can't see who has taken someone captive. And our job is not to fight flesh and blood, but to fight a spiritual battle. So we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. Man, the person you married is not your enemy. Thank you for that, Hugh J. Man. That was... Steve, did you feel what I felt just now? It was like... I was with you on the politics, but not on the marriage thing. Dude, that's... <laughs> if you don't laugh, uh, I don't know what'll happen. So, let's... <laughs> so the first one, if you're taking the notes and you want to fill in the blank, strong in grace... I just think it's a concept that we don't talk about very much. And so when I throw it out, the idea of being strong in grace, what does it mean? How can you be strong in grace? How does God's grace operate in our lives that way? Why is it necessary? So usually, if you were to ask the average believer, so what is grace? You're going to get extreme. Some people like grace is what we do before we eat. <laughs> Let me try over here on this side. I, I, <laughs> Jake was, <laughs> I thought it was okay. It was okay. Was better than the marriage comment a moment ago. And so, so strong in, in grace, or people tend to think, uh, you know, they'll use a definition that they heard, uh, grace is God's ability at work in your life. Yeah, technically that's true, but how do you live that out? How do you, apply, how do you get it in your life? How do you become strong in grace? Or people tend to think that grace is some kind of a sloppy thing that God gives that just covers everything falls underneath grace. And uh, the book of Jude, that small book in the New Testament, actually talks about that very issue. And it says, don't use God's grace as a license to sin or to live sloppily or to do whatever you think you want to do. We, so our concept of grace is a concept that we're not always clear about. Proverbs 3, 5, which is like, Maybe one of the very first scriptures I ever memorized. You might know it. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And don't lean or don't depend on your own understanding. I think when you become strong in grace, you're not relying on just your natural mind to judge a situation. Strong in grace is the ability to see it from God's point of view and then to act on it from God's point of view. It's to move forward having a heart like God has for people or for a situation. To be strong in grace is not something that you conjure up. What we're used to doing is like at the first of the year. Okay, I'm going to lose weight. I need to get some willpower. Willpower is not grace. Willpower has its place in our life and can accomplish some decent things. But willpower, the flesh ultimately will fail every time. Grace never fails. Grace is not simply God's work in us, but it's God's ability. It's loosed through us to the world, and it changes things. I found this, and I thought this was really interesting, and I, I thought I would, I would just read this to you. I, I'll be honest with you, this is not mine. This is from another pastor, but it was so good, I, I thought it was worthy. It just reads this. See if you can follow along. Of all the concepts in the Bible... 
one of the most important for you to understand and apply daily to your life is that of God's grace. If you do not understand God's grace, listen, then you do not understand the gospel. Because grace is at the core of the gospel. Not only are we, listen, saved by grace, but we are to grow in grace. God's grace motivates us to serve him and others. His grace sustains us when we're in trials. When we are needy, we are invited to come to his throne to receive grace and mercy in our time of need. We are told to fix our hope completely on the grace and to be, brought, to be brought to us when Christ Jesus returns. And the very last verse of the Bible in Revelations 22, 21 reads this way. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. God's grace is such a vital concept. And Paul is telling Timothy, you've got to be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. I don't know how much you pay attention to the global church. But right now, in the global church, in churches that that are life-giving churches, or at least proclaim to be life-giving churches. Pastors and leaders are falling faster than I've ever seen in my life. And if you think of churches, Hillsong out of Australia. Look, I didn't come to debate you. Here's what I know about them. They have brought people to Jesus over the years. And for me, that settles the issue right there. They may not do other things the way that I would do it, but I do things the way that they wouldn't do it. But if we're on the same team, right? right? Jesus said, literally, if you're not against me, you're for me. We need to learn. Uh Just because they don't take communion the way that we do or baptize the way that they do. Or they believe in a gift that we don't believe or we believe in a gift that they... Who cares? If they're preaching Jesus and him crucified and people are coming to Christ, they're on our team. We need to embrace them. But right now, around the world, literally, I'm seeing, listen, strong leaders fall what is I think there's a transition that happens (laughs) you need to be praying for this pastor this staff and this church yourselves that as our church comes into this next season that we don't transform into a church that's strong because we have resource and ability but we're strong in the grace of the of Christ Jesus more than we ever have been so I think that literally I think what's happening is that physical strength is failing people and it's exposing them to make it over the distance you have to be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus to make it over the distance in your marriage to have not just to make it like we okay we hate each other but we 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 made it for 50 years the goal is not just like to stay the goal is to be married and love each other thank you for an amen on that one that I went like let me get some low-hanging fruit here because So say one more time, the goal is not just to be married for a long time, but to love each other as you're married for a long time and to be passionate for each other. So you can make a decision like, I'm committed. God doesn't want you just to be committed. He wants you to also be passionate. He wants you to be full of love and you can't do it in your own strength. Prove it. Anybody married more than three days? It takes God's grace to do it the right way. You cannot do it in your own strength. Your strength will fail. Even if you have the right desire and the right attitude, God designed it that your flesh is not. We are saved by grace. One more time. We're saved by grace. And you're sustained by grace. And heaven is open to you because of grace. And we have all that we have in Christ Jesus because of grace. Not because of our effort. Not our, our willpower and us going to get it done. So I'm just seeing strong men and women that operate a lot with their flesh. Not, not their sinful flesh, but just we're going to get this done and we're going to do this and we're going to take this on and we're going to go after politics here and we're going to establish this. You, it, it's got to be done in grace. This week, not, not for my study purposes, but I started thinking Samson. Remember Samson? I I taught a series years and years ago on Samson. I had this little catchphrase, a he-man with a (laughs) she-weakness. If you're like, I don't know what that means, read the Bible. It'll come to you. He was not a great man of restraint. (laughs) It literally says that he came into Gaza 
saw a woman and slept with her. Like, I don't, that's not restraint. It's like, you know, oh. And then... <laughs> that wasn't restraint either, was it? That was... <laughs> was not a picture I want in your heads. Get that. <laughs> Put it out. <laughs> yes. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I will not be doing that in the next service, by the way, either, so. I don't even know how to get back to what I was trying to say. Okay, all right. Yes, thank you, thank you. So, okay. So Samson, Samson, from birth, the Lord picked him out and called him, told his parents he's a Nazarite, he needs to take a Nazarite vow, can't cut his hair, can't touch uh, any, any type of fermented drink whatsoever, cannot touch a dead body. And for, um, you know, as you read about Samson, it doesn't say much about his childhood. I'm sure because his mother and father were in charge of that part of his life, he lived up to that Nazarite vow. But when he's in charge of his life, the first time that the scriptures record the activity of Samson, it says he's walking by the vineyards of Timnath. The one place he's not supposed to be is by the vineyard. And then it says he finds the carcass of a lion that the bees have made a hive in. He's not supposed to touch a dead body, and the very first thing that he does is to scoop his hand inside the carcass of the lion to pull. You just find him at the edge all the time. Here's this godly man. Call. So we ask the question, how can the Lord use someone who's got so many flaws in their life because he doesn't have any other choice? You didn't understand what I, what I said. So maybe you weren't walking by the vineyards or scooping the honey out, but I guarantee you, there's not one. Jesus was the only one. So our only hope in this is not our ability to suddenly we're going to own up and live up to this. That's a false standard of righteousness. Is God working in us that keeps us in that place? Don't be strong in your own will. I'm, I won't do it. I won't drink that. I won't eat that. I won't touch that. I won't sleep. I, it's in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. And so we live in a day, literally, think about, try to put it together real quickly and think, even how we do politics, it's all about being strong in the flesh. And I don't think we've ever seen a day where, that's not true. I think we're living in a day where the church is not as effective as it could be because it's full of a lot of flesh. We're working our own stuff. We're doing it in our own decision. We're being strong in flesh. We're out arguing or trying to. Are you with me right now? I think the Lord ultimately in this is called... Dude, you have such long legs. Every time I walk this way, you have to move those long legs. And then you don't look up at me. There we go. This is my nephew, Ben who's a superstar, taking great notes. What does that say? Do you like me? I like... No, it doesn't say that. <laughs> it's dangerous to sit on the front row if you're related to me, Ben. Love that man. So we have the church in a day today. So I, here's what I think is happening today. I don't think the Lord is leaving us in this place of being strong in the flesh, I think he's showing and convincing the church right now that the only way forward is to be strong in grace. Amen. And that the rallying point of the church for the future will not be our ability to rally the troops to vote a particular way. And I, listen, so you hear me say that, and I, I'll, I'll get email on that. Politics are important. Absolutely. I've voted in every single election. We've registered people to vote here. We give out a voter guide here. 
Don't misunderstand what I'm saying right now, but our hope and our salvation will not come from government or politics. It will not. And I'm going to say this one more time because this just drives people crazy when I say this. So I'll say it one more time. Listen to me. We do not have a political problem in this nation. We have a spiritual problem in this nation. This nation will not be fixed. Stop. It will not be fixed because we elect a conservative next time or we go forward with a liberal next. That will not fix our problem. It may address issues that we are more passionate about or less passionate, whatever. And I know people look like, oh, you're messing it up. You're going to cause people not to vote. I hope I cause people to turn to Jesus and see this world through the lens that people are trapped. They're deceived and they need to be set free from the lies of the enemy. And you won't do it because you vote a particular way. That doesn't change a heart. We have to change a heart to change a life and to change the future. And I, listen, I know my audience. I know who I am. It doesn't take long to figure out what side of the aisle I'm on real quickly. But I also have not sold out to anything of this world. It is Jesus and Jesus alone that I'm convinced that makes a difference for tomorrow. So you need to be involved. Vote your conscience. Be politically active. But that's not salvation. Jesus is salvation. And I won't turn from that, back up from that, or apologize for that. Ever. Ever. That's why I'm here. If I was 35, you could push me around, but I'm 58. <laughs> it is what it is. Here's the second one. So Paul teaches Timothy this closed circle identification of how the gospel goes forward from a believer to me, and then we give it to others. So will you pull that up again, that, that scripture in Timothy, that first scripture, and let me... Let me read this real quick. It's the very first one we started with. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Right here. Second sentence. And the things you heard me say. So here's the first one. He's a believer. The things you heard me say in the presence of many witnesses. Entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. So you have the original given to others and then turned around and give to others. It's a, it's a closed circle if you think this way. So I want to describe something to you real quick. Um, we're always one generation away from revival or from the church being a memory. Look at different parts of the world today that have had the gospel for a thousand years. And think about where they are spiritually. Think of parts of Europe right now and where they are spiritually. They've had the gospel for a thousand years. And there was a time when that gospel, it we are living in the afterglow of what the gospel did a thousand years ago in Europe. Think about that for a moment. We're, living in, we're burning the fuel from what those prayers were a thousand years ago. It literally changed the dark ages. And brought forth the truth and the light of the gospel to the world. But things seem to be cyclical. And somewhere there was a generation that what they received, they failed to give to the next generation. And I'm going to prove it to you from scripture. And we can never be content to think that just because the gospel goes forth today, that it will go forth tomorrow. If we don't close that circle where we're receiving from somebody who knows Jesus, they're putting it in our lives, and then we're turning around and putting it into somebody else's life so that they can do that. We're always one generation away from a revival or from the church being absolutely a relic. Cathedrals exist all over Europe. That people gave their lives to... Some of those people never sat one day in what they were building because it took so many years to build these cathedrals. But they gave their life to the call and now these cathedrals are empty all over Europe to mark what was and not what is. Anybody hear what I'm saying right now? So maybe I'm on my own little soapbox right now. But may our building never be a memory to what was. May it always point to what God is doing and what he will do. May it be filled with young people who are passionate for Jesus, who love him, who take worship way past where we took it, who take sharing the gospel way past where we took it. When Kim shares about, hey, this is for a future generation, I'm sitting there thinking, but what about us? We get to be beneficiaries of it now, but we've got to pass it on for then. It's got to move forward. Let me, let me show you these two scriptures real quick. Exodus chapter 1, 6 through 11. Joseph and all his brothers... And all that generation did what? But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful 
They multiplied greatly. This is after they passed. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. You would think that's enough for them to go forward. But here's what happened. Then a new king to whom Joseph meant came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous. The very blessing of God became a curse to them. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous and if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor and they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. All it takes is one generation to not pass it on. And then one arises that doesn't know anything that we hold sacred. And they won't leave it alone, they'll despise it. The enemy will deceive them. Look at this one from Judges chapter 2. After that, a whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. They died, and another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. If you don't know, then how can you defend and pass on? I'm going to say it one more time. Please hear what I'm saying right now. We are one generation away from revival or extinction. It should be serious to you. I think what it portends to maybe ultimately is that we live in that day. Oh Lord, revive us. Oh Lord, revive us right now. We're torchbearers. And we need to see that thing catch flame. And it won't catch flame with us figuring out who can argue the best. It catches flames when we realize these are not our enemies. That the enemy is our enemy. And that what we're trying to do is to have the Holy Spirit open people's eyes so that they don't live in deception, setting them free from the trap so that they also can worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do you hear me right now? Maybe I've never preached a more serious message pertaining to the future and what our job is and how powerful it is. I I honestly think We have the greatest opportunity for revival amongst the generations right now. The third one is the one that I pointed out to you a minute ago. Kind to everyone. Write that down. Kind to everyone. You know what I wrote in my notes? Ugh. How do I want to ask this question? Maybe the kindest person I know is my wife, and she can't be kind to everyone. It's tough. Not everyone wants you to be kind to them. Not everyone takes that like it's a good thing. Anybody else in this room have trouble being kind to everyone? Anyone here good at being kind to everyone? Everyone. And if you lie, the Lord's going to put somebody in your path today. Paul tells Timothy, you've got to keep in mind the high call that's on your life. You have to see people in this world through the lens of Jesus. When I was a young pastor, the first church that I was on staff in, they actually called them EGRs. You probably know what extra grace required. And if you're like, I don't know anybody like that, guess what? You don't get it, do you? I feel like I I don't know anybody that needs extra grace. Because you're sucking it all up in the... (laughs) Kind to everyone. The only way it's possible, legitimately possible, not fake, not phony, not doing this in public and then feeling another way in private, but to be legitimate, to be real, to be a person of principle and character that this is really true listen to me it cannot be done in the flesh it can only be done with the grace of the Lord in our lives that loves other people you want to know the truth I have trouble loving lovable people I should have said David Melson has trouble loving (laughs) lovable people because that was not received the way that I meant it to be kind to everyone 
This is one of those passages of Scripture. Please hear me on this. It's one of those passages in Scripture where it's easier to read it and just go on by it than it is to consider that God really wants me to do this. And it's difficult to do in your own strength. And I think we start out with a good intention and then we end up dealing with people who are difficult. You find yourself losing your temper or probably avoiding them. I think we live in a day and an age where it's easy to pull in your garage, press the button, and you don't have to deal with anybody. Yeah? Kind to everyone. I haven't lost my place. I'm mustering up my courage right now. <laughs> Wait till after I'm done, and then, yeah. I think that Christians, by and large, not all, but a great percentage of it, we have a president in office that I think many believers think it's the worst thing that's ever happened to the nation. So this let's go Brandon thing. We wear those t-shirts, put those bumper stickers on, and we laugh at it. And I'm going to tell you, as a believer, you are in contrast to what the gospel says you are supposed to do with the leadership in a particular country. The Bible says that any leader that exists is because God put them in that place. Can you believe that? Do you believe that? And that your responsibility is to pray for that person. How much easier is it to curse that person than it is to pray for that person? And honestly, it's not the way I voted. Roy, I didn't vote that way. And I don't like the policies. But it doesn't relieve me of the responsibility to pray for that person. And it's much easier to mock that person. Be quiet now. Am I still your pastor right now? I'm going to make a decision. Some of you will be like, I can't go to that church. Which one will you go to? The one that preaches strong in the flesh? Hate that guy. Mock that guy. That's the gospel? I know it. Do you not think that it rankles me to say this too? And if you find yourself on that side of the political persuasion, look at me. I want this church to be built of people who love Jesus, not who vote the same way. I want our common denominator to be that we're passionate for Jesus, not passionate for politics. Churches that are passionate for politics find themselves suddenly everything they do is about how they do it in the flesh. I don't want to be that church. I don't want to be that church. And if you're like, Pastor, I don't like that message. It's not my message. Well, it is my message. <laughs> but I'm not the author of the message. Right. It's the message of our gospel. And I, I know. I know. Do you hear me? Yes. And a decision will have to be made with this because, my goodness, it's so easy just to... Ah, And our responsibility <laughs> to love, to pray for, to ask that the Lord would set them free. Sometimes it seems like what we're actually praying for is that the Lord would damn them. And I'm not trying to change the way you vote. It's not a political message, believe it or not. I just think that the church is so far away from the gospel that was delivered to us. And then we wonder, why do we lack power? Why aren't the gifts in operation? We can't do the simple thing of loving people. Ooh, I've stepped into something. I can feel it. So I'm going to get up here where it's safer so I can say these things from, from a distance. We are called to love people. I think I just read we're supposed to be kind to. If only that meant the ones that we think are worthy of that. Four, it's going to take a different perspective. Verses 24 through 26. The Lord's servant. Let me ask the question. It's not rhetorical. I want a response from you. How many of you are the Lord's servant? So I want you to raise your hand right now. If you're the Lord's servant, I want you to do this for me. 
If you're like, that's not the church I went to. If you've gone to this church, it's the church that you went to. I'm the Lord's servant. You're the Lord's servant. I'm not a servant because I'm a pastor. I'm a servant first who happens to be a pastor. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach. That doesn't mean like I'm doing right now, but it's able to communicate the truth of the gospel, not resentful. How? Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. And that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. I would say to you simply this, until anyone can walk into this church so that they can hear the gospel message, we're not doing it the right way. It doesn't mean we have to become everything to everybody, trying to please everybody. But we can't make our political persuasion or our arguments the thing that people have to cross the threshold of in order to come in here and worship. It needs to be that all are welcome to hear the gospel message in this place and that we can love all people. Say that with me. We can love all people. If you're like, oh, that sticks. Cough it out and say it again. All people. All people. All people. Just like God loved you. Just like God loved you. To think of them as being trapped by the devil. I wrote this, the last fill in the blank. Let me give you a strategy of decency. A strategy of decency. So that we help people escape the trap of deception to the enemy. There is a difference between kindness and acquiescence. Acquiescence is what the church does when they don't know how to be strong in grace. Now we're going to be strong in the flesh and just open it. Whosoever will can come and we won't preach truth. That's not love. That's acquiescence. Love is come in this place and we don't care who you are, what you believe. We love you because Jesus loves you and he loved us too. And God wants to set you free. Kindness and decency are not the same as being fake. We live in a day where people have learned to win an argument and we lose the person. Now close with this. Before I was a pastor, which dirt was young then. It seems I've 37 years. Terry has me beat by 10, 47 years, 49 years, sorry. Not everybody wants to own those last two years to you. (laughs) I was at one time in my life in Baton Rouge going to school, holding down a full-time job, a husband and a father to two little children. And I'm trying to do that, right, and get to a goal that I wanted. I I knew that I had a call in my life and I knew that I had to, to do whatever it took. That was just the, the bottom line. <laughs> and instead of being worn out and tired, I was in this great place of God's grace. I get up in the morning, I don't know. So like, you, you ever just done those things and you look back and you think, how did anybody that's raised children, and you look back and you think, how did we do that? How did we stay up like that? How were we patient? How did we... God's grace. Yeah, it was not an act of your will alone. Yes or no? Your will would have run out of steam a long time. Yes or no? You know, it's God's grace that gives you the ability to do it. So I'm in this place. Instead of being worn out and tired and angry about it, God's grace... And I was excited to get up and go to school and go to work and be a husband and be a father. I knew what God was doing and I was, so, and I was living in this bubble of grace. Where instead of like being worn out and mad about it, I was happy about it. And the real thing when I look back now that I see is that God was moving so powerfully in my life that revival was going on inside of me. God's grace was just moving so powerfully. And the thing that I worked so hard to get to, 37 years later, sometimes I'm so tired. I'm 
Maybe, maybe it's time for somebody younger to come in. So long. I'm not resigning. Hold on. It's just worn out. Like this last week, buried my mother-in-law. My son gets married in 10 days. My mom is moving and staying with us right now, trying to get us moved into this building. And I'm, I'm so tired right now. And you know what I need? Two weeks in Hawaii. No, it's not. You knew something was, if there's ever a pregnant pause, something good is coming right after that. Grace. Yes. So you can put it like, well, you know, you're not 35 now. True. I'm actually better now than I was at 35, to be honest with you. Pastors aren't like quarterbacks. We come into our own in our 50s. How about that? It's true for believers too. The older you get, the better it gets. It doesn't get worse. If you're worn out and resentful, which is what that says, look at the word resentful. Now this is rhetorical, but how many of us are resentful today? Resentful for where the world is, resentful for where our families are, resentful for all the stuff we're having to do, resentful that it's not working out the right way, resentful for the economy right now. Resentful. That's something's... It's like Paul told the Galatians, the gospel that was delivered to you, who, who came in there and substituted that good gospel with this one that requires your works and your discipline and your, you know, got to be self-disciplined. And there's a place for those things. But not to live the Christian life. You cannot do it. All. I'm saying resentful is probably connected to you in your own ability trying to do this thing that you read and see and can't figure out how to make it in your life. And God is calling us right now. Let go of all of that flesh and come to me if you're tired and you're weary and you're resentful. And let's have an exchange. Give me your resentfulness. I'll give you my joy. Give me your anger. And I'll give you my peace. Give me you trying harder. And let me show you how it's really done. I'll do it in you. And it is not some phony false thing that we've told ourselves in order to keep us going. It's the real deal that makes serving Jesus everything it's supposed to be. Look at I'm coming back here to preach to the people in the back because you think by sitting back here I can't get, but I'm coming back here <laughs> to you. In my mind, you're sitting in the front row back here. Man, God's calling us to this. And I, Look, this is not, I don't want you to make a decision. Okay, we're going to try harder. We're going to be better. We're going to deal with this. Stop that. That's the problem. Oh, God, I come to you where I am, and I am so tired, and I am so worn out. I'm so frustrated. I'm frustrated with what's going on in government. I'm frustrated with what's going on in my neighborhood. Whatever it is, God, take this. And I want to walk in the joy that you promise. I came to bring life, and not just any life, but, what's the word? Say it again. Are you living abundant life? Yes or no? It's simple. Well, I think I am. If you think you're not, you know. And if you're honest with yourself, I'm not. Where's the breakdown? Either Jesus is a liar, or the gospel you're living is not working. Which one is it? I defy you to say he's a liar. I defy you to say that. He is truth. He is only truth. You'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. That's not a concept. It's a person. You will know him and he will make you free. You are weary, heavy laden, burdened, can't figure it out. Come here. Quit doing your own thing. Quit walking your own way. Quit being like, for those who are old enough to remember, remember Avis, we try harder? Stop it. Quit trying harder. Trying harder only wears you out. When you're younger, you think you have the energy to do it. You'll try harder. Stop trying harder. Surrender. Come to Jesus and receive this life. You know, I, 
I don't know if you'll understand this, but there's times like when I'm teaching that I know I step into this great place of grace and what keeps me from being, I, I'm in this place right now where I know God's spirit is trying to give something and I don't want to cut it off. He wants you to have his grace. He wants you to leave this place not the way you walked in, but the way that he called you to be and to live. Pastors, all of my pastors, and every pastor in this room who's not one of mine, this, this has been a resting place for many pastors over the years. And I never make them identify themselves. And I let them come in and rest. And they go when they're supposed to. Like the spokes of a wheel, they can come in to the hub and then they can leave when they need to leave. And I've never pointed that out, but I want to say to every pastor and every worker and every minister who walks in this door, we are not strong enough, we are not smart enough, and we are not able to face the world in our own strength, our own mind, and our own ability. We need the grace of the Lord, and He is trying to call His church back to grace so that we can be a powerful force for grace in this world. For grace in this world. I'm 12 minutes and 36 over the limit and I'm building a new building where time does not exist on the inside listen my methodology is that I'm just straightforward and so sometimes people stumble over the messenger and they don't receive the message hide me behind the cross of Jesus Christ right now so that all you hear is the message of grace that God is trying to give to you today don't stumble over me or my approach to it or my boldness to it or a mistake that I made. Receive God's grace today. So how do I want to end this right now? In my head, I hear the Lord saying, pray for people to receive grace. So I don't want you to bow your heads and I don't want you to close your eyes. If you need God's grace in your life, I want you to stand to your feet right now. Not if you need it as a whole, but if you know I'm talking to you right now. We all need it as a whole, but if you know that while I'm talking, I'm putting my finger, the Holy Spirit is shining on something where you know I need God's grace to love people, to not be quarrelsome, to not be resentful, to be joyful, to not sit and focus on what's wrong, but to be looking to heaven for what's right and what God is doing. Now I open my eyes. That's what I thought. The preacher's standing too. The preacher needs double. Would you do me a favor? Even if you're like, I'm just not charismatic. Pretend for a moment. <laughs> this is a receiving position. If I were to hand you something and you wanted it, you'd have to put your hands out to receive it, correct? I just want you to receive. Now you can close your eyes. And now you can go to that place with the Holy Spirit. And wherever you are in life right now, wherever you are, I want you to know it's no mistake that you're here today. That the Lord actually, I believe, wanted our paths to cross. And not just you and me, but He wanted to cross paths with you today. So that He can give you His grace. And I want to pray for every person well-intentioned and trying so hard. And keeping the rules. Or maybe you've gone to the other extreme. You just failed at it so many times that now you don't even try anymore. And you think... I want to go to heaven, but I don't know how that equals living in this life. And I want to see yourself right now. Come to Jesus. What does that look like? Whenever I think about that, I always think that he's... Context is he's teaching right beside the road. And people are coming from church, from temple. And they've been weighed down with rules and regulations and they've been told you can't do this and you have to do that and you're not allowed to talk to this person and you have to disassociate from that person and you got to keep yourself clean all of these different rules 
And Jesus is standing by the road as people coming from the place that should have given them life, but instead they're weighed down and they're heavy. And Jesus sees the people. He doesn't see the problem. He sees the people. Come to me. All of you who are tired and are resentful and are weary and are heavy and are afraid, are afraid, are afraid. You look at the future and you're afraid. You look at circumstances right now and you're fearful. And Jesus is saying, no more, come to me. And let's exchange. Give me that, and I'll give you my burden, which is light and easy. I came to bring life to you. And not just any life, but abundant life. A life that's actually worth having. Not one that we're just trying to make it through to get in bed so that we can sleep and then get up and do it all over again tomorrow. Come to me if you've lost your joy. Come to me if you're just going through the motions. Come to me if you're passionate for me, but you can't figure out how that translates in a world that's not. Come to me. And I will give you my life. Father, right now, I think that you're opening people's eyes. That the devil sometimes is skillful, not at deceiving us against our salvation, but deceiving us from having the life that you called us to. So, Lord, I just pray for Deb and for Dan today. I pray for Chris today. I pray for Terry. 49 years. May the next 49 be the best. Jake, Mike, John, just life today. Life for young people. Life. That you leave here with life. That it's not just something else that we say or do, but you leave here with his life. You leave here with his grace and his mercy covering you from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet. That you find a fellowship of life and people that need it as much as you do. In our families, with our friends. I even want you to think right now of just the problems that you're dealing with. And maybe you come here not to think about those problems. But I want you to think about them for just a second. And what I want you to do is to see yourself bringing them to Jesus right now. Come to me. Come to me. He's not ashamed of you. He's not embarrassed by you. You're not a problem to him. You're not a threat to him. Come to me, he says. You're loved. You're wanted. And it's not just like, okay, I love you, but you've got to deal with your own stuff. He loves you so much. He's like, give me that thing that you cannot carry that is killing you and take from me my life. And I know for every person in this room, if we were to say what it is, it'd be a different thing for everybody. And the Lord invites all of us, come to me. God, would you release your grace right now in a new way? Would you pour it out on us? God, it's so heavy today. It's so heavy today. God, would you help marriages? Would you help families? Would you pour your grace out in business? Will you pour your grace out on our government today, Lord? Agree with me right now. Will you pour grace out on our president today, Lord? Will you open his eyes, Father? Will you set him free from a trap, Lord? Will you cause President Biden to come to a place where he knows you, Jesus? And he loves you. 
so that his heart can actually be directed by you, Father. Forgive us for the curses that have, that have pushed him further from our prayers. God, would you have mercy on us again? Father, we don't want to be the generation that let fall to the ground the story that we hold as everything. We want to be the generation that passes it on and it can only be done as you do it inside of us, Lord. Oh, Lord, no more emotions. No more just showing up and going through and leaving the same or worse than when we walked in. Lord, every time we come together with other like-minded people, pour your grace out in abundance so that when we leave here, Father God, we're burning the fuel of grace and not our trying harder, our frustration. God, open our eyes. Thank you today for setting our feet free from a trap. Keep us from stepping back into it, Lord. Help us, Father. Lord, we hold your word up, not what the newspaper says. We hold your word up, not what the TV says. We hold your word up, and not what our circle of friends even say. Your word, Lord. Yes to that in our lives, Father. And I thank you, Jesus. In your name, amen. And amen. Hey, no, hang on. So I feel like the word of the Lord... In Ecclesiastes, it says, do not despise the day of small beginnings. A prayer is a seed. And if that seed falls in a place in our heart where the Lord can press it down so that it takes root, it doesn't just come back as a single seed. It comes back at a minimum of 30 times itself, 60 times, or 100 times. May the Lord give us a hundredfold return on grace. May this be the place of grace, Lord. And I bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.